Again, Jesus entered the synagogue. And a man was there with a withered hand. And they watched Jesus to see whether he would heal him on the Sabbath so that they might accuse him. And he said to the man with the withered hand, Come here. And he said to them, Is it lawful on the Sabbath to do good or to do harm? To save life or to kill? But they were silent. And he looked around at them with anger, grieved at their hardness of heart, and said to the man, Stretch out your hand. He stretched it out, and his hand was restored. The Pharisees went out and immediately held counsel with the Herodians against him, how to destroy him. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. In 586 BC, the Israelites were exiled from their homeland. And after an 18-month siege and multiple deportations, Jerusalem lay in rubble and Israelites were peppered all over the ancient Near Eastern world. And everywhere that they lived, they built synagogues, places to assemble for prayer and for the worship of God. And 2,000 years ago when Jesus of Nazareth was ministering to people in and around Jerusalem, the first place he would go is to these synagogues to proclaim the good news of the kingdom of God first to the Jew, then to the Gentile, because he is faithful to his people. And so our scripture passage opens tonight with Jesus once again in a synagogue, almost certainly in the town of Capernaum, where he recently had cast out a demon. Jesus had been teaching about his kingdom and casting out demons and healing the sick and performing miracles. And when he strolls into the synagogue on this Sabbath day, we read that there's a man standing right over there with a withered hand. That's the setup. These three things, a man in need of healing, the Sabbath day, and Jesus. And it's a recipe for all kinds of tension. And I think it's hard for us to imagine in our day and age how tense it would have been. I suspect none of us have probably been in a worship service where tensions have been so high as they were that day. You and I could imagine, for example, like in this room, somebody standing up like right now, interrupting me and asking me what I think about some really divisive hot topic in the culture and demanding that I answer right now in front of everybody or something. And you can imagine that right after that, there'd be this like pregnant silence in the room and everybody's wondering how I'm going to respond. But that wouldn't even be close to as tense as what was happening in this story. Because in this story, we read that the religious leaders were actively looking for opportunities to bring formal accusations against Jesus. We're only in Mark chapter 3. Already, they're actively looking to bring formal accusations against him and would, would in six verses plan to kill him. And so there is Jesus, and there are the religious leaders waiting to see what he would do with this man in need of healing. And rather than dissolving or disarming this tension, Jesus brings it to a point. Father, may the words of my mouth and may the thoughts and meditations of each one of our hearts be holy and pleasing to you, our rock 
and a redeemer. Jesus could have just left this man alone for like a minute or a couple of hours. He could have asked the leaders, hey, it's kind of tense in here. What are you guys talking about today? What's the Bible study or discussion or whatever? Or, or how can we pray? He could have approached that man and he could have whispered to him, hey, why don't you meet me after the sun goes down and the Sabbath day is over? I would love to heal your hand. And I bet that after years of suffering, this man would have been so happy that he would have rejoiced. What are a few more hours after the years of suffering that he experienced? It would have been one of the best days of his life. And I would have, and it would have, if Jesus had done that, if he had said, just meet me in a few hours because the sun will go down and won't be Sabbath anymore, all this tension was gone. Okay? Um, it would have disarmed the tension and this man still would have been healed. But Jesus didn't do that. Apparently, he is very uncomfortable with his own law being used to cover sinister motives, even for a few hours. Apparently, he is uncomfortable and unwilling to let his law be an excuse to not heal somebody when they're in need of healing, even for a few hours. Jesus, rather than dissolving or disarming this tension, brings it to a point. He said to this man with the withered hands, come here. And this man obeys. He comes toward Jesus and he's standing now right in the middle of the room where all that tension is. And in that moment, Jesus looks around at the religious leaders and he asks them a rhetorical question. Is it lawful on the Sabbath to do good or to do harm? To save life or to kill? And they were silent. Of course they were silent. Of course God doesn't establish laws in order to do harm. Of course God doesn't institute his decrees and his commands in order to kill. All of God's laws are aimed at life. All of God's laws are good. And in their silence, Jesus scans the room, making eye contact with each one of these men. Looking at them, the scriptures tell us, with anger, grieved at the hardness of their heart. The hardness of their heart. This phrase gets used over and over again in the New Testament. Hardness of heart. It means an unwillingness or an inability to understand. An unwillingness or an inability to understand. Their hearts are too hard. Lord, have mercy upon us. Soften our hearts that we might be able to receive whatever it is you have for us. Let those who have eyes see, those who have ears hear, those who have minds and hearts know and believe. Jesus looked at these men with anger, grieving at their unwillingness to understand. And looking at them, he said to him... Stretch out your hand. It's the greatest no-look shot in history. And the man obeys. And he stretches out his hand, and his hand was restored. And this is such an interesting way of explaining the story. Because it's hard to even see Jesus do much work. He doesn't say, be healed, or something, why the guy's hand is there. He doesn't do some kind of Harry Potter sorcery. He doesn't rub this man's hand or anoint it with oil or breathe on it or I don't know, something. 
He just tells this man, hold out your hand, and it says this hand was restored. The brevity of this is a point of interest because it doesn't seem like Jesus is doing much work. It almost seems as if the mysterious work of God is healing this man's hand in the middle of the synagogue, and Jesus, ironically, doesn't have to lift a finger to restore this man to health. Notice, too, that this man doesn't ask to be healed. What grace. Jesus did tell this man to come, and he did tell this man to lift his hand. And presumably, if this man rejected that, he wouldn't have experienced healing. But he did as Jesus commanded. We just literally sang a song saying, when you call, come running. How many of us have healing being offered to us in the commands of God, in the call of God? How many of us would experience healing if only we would do what God commands and calls us to? I don't know. But if He commands you to come, I encourage you to do it. If He tells you to put your hand out into the middle of the room, I encourage you to do it. Well, this man's hand was restored anyway, and immediately the Pharisees went out. And they had this council with these political leaders because so often religious power and political power get colluded, and they plot to destroy him. They start planning to kill him. That's what we've seen and heard in Jesus. And I want you to know a few, notice a few things from this story. First, it might be really helpful for some of you, to just sit with the truth of Jesus getting angry. For many of us, for my friends who are therapists, one of the questions they'll sometimes ask people in therapy is, is, was there any emotion that wasn't allowed in your house growing up? And the most frequent response that they hear back is anger. Many of us have a very unhealthy relationship with anger. It's, it's something where I know that I, I've had years where I'm angry at my anger. You know, I think it's very complex. Uh, Jesus here was angry. Angry that the law was being used to delay healing. Angry at their unwillingness to understand. And we shouldn't imagine Jesus getting angry like maybe our moms and dads get angry. Or even the way we get angry. Jesus doesn't sin in his anger. Notice what he does do in the middle of his anger. He heals. It's, it struck me that Baylor, I don't know where you're sitting, I can't see anything out here, but, but you shared that, that you'd feel all these really strong emotions and, and in the midst of feeling all those strong emotions, there were things getting healed and restored. You know? That sounds very much like Jesus in the story. When Jesus gets really angry, healing happens. What would that be like? But it may, be a, it may be a good thing for you to know that Jesus felt and experienced the full range of human emotion. I don't know who in this room needs to hear that, but maybe for some of you, that's what you need to hear from the story. That Jesus is angry. Second, Augustine famously taught that the essence of sin is disordered love. The essence of sin is disordered love. Love. It's loving things in the wrong order. These religious leaders were so caught up in their understanding of the law that they exhibited no compassion for the healing of this man. 
And they felt justified because they're keeping God first. They got things out of order and everything was a wreck. In the middle of a house of worship, they cared more about abstract Sabbath laws. There were other sinister motives too, but this is what made them feel justified. They cared more about abstract Sabbath laws than they did for a man in need of healing. And Jesus had just said, if you go back just like two verses or something, in the end of Mark chapter 2, he had just said that the Sabbath was made for humanity, not the other way around. The order is really important. Jesus had just taught on order. When our loves are out of order, even if everything we love is good, we make a mess of it, friends. And what an interesting time of the year to meditate on this. For many of us intend very good things right at the start of a new year. We refocus and recalibrate our loves, our aims, our passions. And so we might, for example, want to take care of our body, which is good. But when the care of our body is ordered above the love of our neighbor or kindness to ourselves, we're on dangerous ground. If I love my kids, which is good, more than I love my bride, I risk them all. If I tell you that I'm just going to be honest with you, and honesty is good, but if I make honesty higher than compassion or gentleness or love, Because honesty as a servant of love will never go wrong, but honesty without consideration of love will wound you in unloving ways. And if you think, let's say you go, well, listen, you you want me to lie (laughs) or something? (laughs) Then you don't understand how creative love is. How capable love is of finding a way to affirm the worth and dignity of another human being. We must get the order right The essence of sin is disordered love. I am, this is real. I'm tempted to want to be understood more. And that's fine. That's a good thing. That's fine. But when I make that more important than wanting to understand, it's out of order. The Pharisees wanted to obey laws even though they weren't right. Because they impeded healing and compassion. One of the warnings of this text is that we should be careful to keep our loves in the right order, friends. How quickly we are willing to write somebody off because we love something else more than our neighbor. How many of us love being right more than being reconciled. Or prefer comfort to growth. Comfort is good. Being right is great. It's way better than being wrong. But when we get these things out of order, love And I hope this isn't news to you. Love is the crowning ethic and virtue over all things. And not love however we define it. Love as exhibited and taught in Jesus Christ of Nazareth. If we keep the first things first, everything else we need will be thrown in. But if our loves are disordered, we risk spoiling the whole thing. Friends, let Jesus order your loves. 
Let him lead you in how to order and prioritize your world. God forbid that we, like the Pharisees, feel justified in our own order of things, even when it's impeding healing and goodness and life. And thanks be to God that Jesus never gets the order wrong. That he never forgets this man in need of healing, even while it's his own laws being thrown at him in the room. And finally, friends, what a surprise that Jesus brings this man's shame into the center of the room. He doesn't hide it or skirt around it. He draws attention right to it. Takes this man's need of healing and puts it right in the middle of everybody's attention. Put out your hand right here where everyone can see. And in that moment, he takes the source of this man's shame and brings healing to him and glory to God. What if these things which are sources of shame and embarrassment and weakness in your life, these things which you would just assume do without... What if it is just like God to call you into the middle of the room and bring these things out into the light? And if he calls, come running. Trust him. He whose strength is made perfect in our weakness. He who calls things into light for the purposes of healing and restoration. Maybe the very sources of shame and weakness in our lives are the very places where God wants to demonstrate compassion and healing power and love for you. And take heart because he will never ask you to do something he hasn't done first. For Jesus, too, knows what it's like to be exposed in his weakness, to be paraded around in shame, to be lifted up, not only in the center of the room, but at the very center of history, in his vulnerability. And in that very place where he is most weak in his humanity, all the power and compassion and healing of God is on display for the world. For on that cross, we threw the worst that we could at Jesus Christ, and he loved us to the end. Disarming the powers of darkness and the spiritual forces of evil, exposing them for what they are, and granting you and I confidence and power to know that God in Jesus Christ never turns his face away. And so he bids us to come and meet him where we can experience the healing power of God. This year, by the grace of God, may our priorities be mapped on to the priorities of God's kingdom that we see in the Son. And this year, may we come to God out of the shadows and meet him right where he's offering his healing power and strength. I'm going to close us in prayer in just a minute, but I want us to take, we do this every week, we'll take like a minute, maybe, maybe a little longer, just in some, a time of silent reflection uh, to listen to what God might be telling us or inviting us into, what he might be calling us to in light of the scripture, and then I'll close us in prayer. So take a minute.